Larry Dunlop, and uh, welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And welcome to the place where we talk to all your favorite current and former Royals players on Clubhouse Conversation, where today I, Davo, am about to be joined by Harry Dunlop for an amazing trip down memory lane, not only with the Kansas City Royals organization, but also in the game of baseball. Harry Dunlop, he was a coach with the Royals. From 1969 until 1975. So only Harry and Denny Matthews saw every single inning of every single game from 1969 to 1975. The only two men. Overall, 21 seasons at the big league level for Harry Dunlop as a coach at the MLB level. Never made the majors as a player, but was a catcher coming up for many years in the minor leagues and did something cool. He once caught three no-hitters in the span of two weeks. His very first stop in 1952 with the Bristol Twins, a guy who served our country within the Korean War. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about his various minor league stops as a player, how he got the Royals job. The jobs afterwards, he went on to you know, coach at the major league level with the Cubs, the Reds, the Padres, the Marlins, all that and so much more as Harry Dunlop joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. I'm very excited for this one. Harry, thank you, first of all, for giving us your time. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Great, great. Having a, a good time in retirement. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing these days? What's keeping you busy? Uh, playing, play as much golf as possible. I uh, never played it much when, uh, you know, was working in baseball, but uh, I've fallen in love with it after I retired, so uh, I play at least a couple times a week, and, and try to anyway, and uh, I really enjoy it. I get a lot of fun out there, just, uh, you know, the camaraderie of playing with guys that I went to school with and grew up with and everything, and it's, it's fun. It's real good. Well, you have also written a book since you have been retired as well. It's called 50 Years in a Kids Game. Kind of tell us more about that. Well, it was something uh, a friend of ours that uh, went to another high school. We played ball against each other over the years. And that. He had written a couple books, uh, Ray Ledesma, and he kept wanting to do a book after I retired. And I wasn't really too enthused about it that, but my wife and the grandkids, the kids and the grandkids kept wanting something, so I said, okay, I'll do it. But I said, there's not going to be anything in there negative. It's just going to be about how much fun it was playing the game, you know, and coaching in it and everything. So that's what it was. It's, uh, you know, I I think it's okay, but it's nothing great. But <laughs> anyway, after I did it, I did have fun doing it. So uh, it was good, and we when we finished it, we couldn't think of uh, a title. And my wife, Joanne, says, might as well call it uh, 50 years in the kids' game because that's what it was. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Wow, what a, what a professional life you had. Um, yes, it was, uh, it was very nice. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get to the, more about that here in a second. But now how about as far as the Royals go, you know, how, how much fun did you have watching them in 2014 during their World Series run? 
fantastic. It brought back a lot of memories, how great the fans were and everything, and how, how good we were treated while we were there the seven years that I was the coach with the Royals. And, and you know, uh, it was just so great to see it because they had had those years where everything didn't go right, and uh, it was nice to see them come back and, and be a part of, uh, you know, the big part of baseball. It was, it was great to see it. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's great seeing the whole fan base and city revitalized and seeing a new generation of Royals fans. You know, All right? And I, I've got a couple friends that went to the got to go to the series net, and they said, "Oh, it was amazing! You get to Kansas City, and everybody was wearing the Royals T-shirts or or uh, jerseys and hats, no matter where you were." And, and and that was great to hear. That was that was great because I always thought Kansas City was a fantastic baseball town. You know, from the old. Uh, Brooklyn ballpark, you know, we first played in, and 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 then the new one, and that. So it was great, and and our kids kind of grew up in, in Kansas City there too. You know, they were young and uh, they became teenagers in Kansas City, so that was kind of nice. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, one other story about the World Series last year. So, you know, obviously you were a third base coach amongst other things. So the infamous Alex Gordon being held at third base, game seven, Mike Gershley holds him, which was most likely, I would think, the correct you know thing. But w- what was in your mind as you were watching that play, and what kind of things would you have kept in mind if you were a third base coach there? Well, I really never uh, thought much about one way or the other. I mean, I know what, uh, you know, he certainly would want to score the runner if he could run it, but that's the decision you have to make as a third base coach. A lot of it you have to look and see how how hard the fellow was run. Did the runner look like he really wanted to score on the player, or was he going to be content to go to third base? Those kind of things you have to take into consideration, you know, in a very short period of time, and you have to make that decision. If you get the uh, the guy thrown out, uh, you know, they say you made a terrible decision, and he holds the runner. And if he doesn't score, then you've made a terrible decision. So that's all part of coaching third base. And, and I, I can't fault him one way or the other because unless I was there and saw exactly how the thing transpired, uh, you know, I can't make a real honest uh, appraisal of he should have or shouldn't have, you know. Yeah. That's just the way I look at it as an ex-third base coach. I mean, that's a tough decision to make in, in a, a tough situation. And uh, he did what he thought was right, and uh, it didn't work out. So, you know, it that's about all you can say about it, really. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I, th- I think he probably would have been thrown out as well. I think you're right. That's probably go with what Gershley did. But, man, what a, what a moment. Game seven of the World Series, two outs of the ninth. Oh, what a know. what a moment to be faced with that, right? And and it was his rookie year coaching yeah. third base, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, first year in the big leagues. Yeah, so that, that even makes it tougher. You know, <laughs> he certainly doesn't want to make mistakes his first year over there. You know, so like I say, it, I, I felt sorry for the guy because I, I, I know the feeling. I mean, anybody who's ever coached third base knows that feeling that, uh, well, maybe I should have done this and maybe I shouldn't have done that. But all you can say is, hey, I made the decision and I thought I was right, and that's it. And you have to go along with it. Yeah, he definitely made the right one, I think, there. But you're right. That's a lot, a lot of added pressure because of the moment. Well, let's, let's go way back then and start from the beginning for you. Are you ready to go way back? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's start off in Sacramento, California. So you were a catcher growing up. You went to Sacramento High School, spent a little time at Sacramento Juco as well. So a guy named Bob Fontaine uh, scouted for the Pirates, and he signed you when you were 18, right? That's right. Bob Fontaine, who later went on and was general manager at San Diego Padres, amongst other things. But, uh, yeah, he signed me, and and, 
out of high school and in those days in 1951 uh if you if you got uh over six thousand dollars to sign you had to stay in the big league roster for two years <laughs> wow. obviously i didn't get six thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> i think i got thirty five hundred or something like that to sign so uh you know it probably was the best thing in the world because it, the, the only one that I remember definitely, uh, Joey Mafatano, uh signed the same year with the Giants, and he got over $6,000, and he, he stayed two years with the Giants. And, you know, it was great you get in the time, but he never got to play those two years, and I think that kind of held him back from his career too. So Yeah, it was kind of like being a Rule 5 guy almost, huh? Right, 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 right. Kind of the same thing. a little difference in signing nowadays, huh? <laughs> yeah, just just <laughs> minuscule. <laughs> so now, how did the how did the pirates find you then? You know, and do you remember much about them scouting you? And then, what do you remember about the day you signed the contract? Oh yeah, uh, actually, I signed late in 1951. I graduated in June of 51 from Sacramento High School, and uh, there was about three or four clubs that were after me. The the two it came down to was Detroit. Uh, Bernie DeVivris was the, the local area scout for uh, Detroit, and then Bob Fontaine was with uh, with the Pirates. And, uh, you know, it came down to that, and we kept going back and forth and this and that. And I think really what the, the big decision that I had was that uh, uh, my mom <laughs> really – like Bob Fontaine better than uh, Bernie, and uh, I don't know why, because they were both real nice men. You know, I mean, I got along great with them, and they were real good to me, but for some reason, so I kind of leaned toward Pittsburgh that way, too, so. But I, I don't think Bing Crosby had anything to do with it that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> Even though he was part owner of Pittsburgh, you know, but uh, anyway, so. Yeah, they scouts uh, were around most of the time when you were playing in those days, and I think one of the big breaks I got was uh, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle and Examiner used to have an all-star game in Seal Stadium, uh, Coast League ballpark. Uh, they call it the East Bay, uh, East Bay West Bay uh, series, and there was a, and I got I made the club for the East Bay, and our pitcher was Ed Cherigino, who the Yankees signed. After that game, for I don't know, probably around thirty thousand dollars, something, which was a lot of money in those days, and uh, he, he he went right to the Coast League and pitched, and I caught him, and and he had a real good game, and uh, I had a good game uh, catch, and I threw out a couple runners and got drove in a couple runs with a, a hit and that, and and there was you know there was an awful lot of scouts in that, in that game watching that that All Star game, and and. Uh, I think that's when I really got noticed by uh, more clubs, and uh, that's when uh, the scouting got a little more intense, and you know, and eventually uh, picked Pittsburgh, and I was happy I did. It yeah. Was, uh, well, enjoyable. you had a lot of interesting things happen, obviously, right off the bat. So your first summer in Pro Bowl, it's 1952. You're with Bristol in the Appy League and then Burlington Graham in the Carolina League. So memorable summer for many reasons, but then there was a two-week period in Bristol. So you caught three no-hitters. Three no-hitters. days, yeah. Yeah. I actually had more put-outs uh, the first month of the season than the – the other team, the rest of the players on the team. <laughs> it was just pitch and catch, right? Well, the thing is that the, the big
big one was that we had Ron Nechai, you know, pitched the, the only 27 strikeout game in baseball history, and I was his catcher, uh, May 13, 1952. And uh, then Bill Bell was another pitcher on the team, and he pitched back to back no hitters and struck out uh, 18 and 20 in his game. So, uh, you know, there was an awful lot of strikeouts, and, and, uh, and it, it was a fun time. Uh, you know, when uh, Nechai threw his 27 strikeout game, uh, you know, everybody went crazy about it, and we actually thought, never thought much about it. He was 19 and I was 18, and uh, thought it had been done before, and, and uh, you know, and then it, the next day when we started getting calls from all kinds of writers all over the country about the things, you know, we realized it was something, but, uh, you know, it was uh, quite an experience. Unfortunately, it went downhill after that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's decent, right? Well, wait a minute. I don't think that's happened before or since, has it? The 27 strikeouts and a no-hitter at any level? Had, yeah. Never had. Never did before, never had since. And, you know, almost every year around uh, this time of the year, uh, a young sports writer will call up, he'll call Netchai, and Netchai will talk to him and tell him to call me and, and this and that, and, you know. And, and uh, I always get the question, well, what was his velocity? And I said, we don't know because we didn't have radar guns in those days. Uh, but he threw hard, you know. And then he'd say, how many pitches did he throw? So we didn't have pitch counts in those days either, you know. You pitched until you couldn't pitch anymore. You know, I mean, you pitched until you... You're, you got tired and couldn't get anybody out. And the other thing, they always say, well, do you think anybody will ever do it? And I have to give them an honest answer and say, no, I don't think they ever will because because of the pitch count and the way in the minor leagues nowadays, a pitcher very seldom ever goes seven innings because they have the pitch count on. So how can you strike out 27 if you don't go the nine innings, you know? Yeah, that that's not going to happen again. No, what, what? no, I don't think it ever will. And it really, you know, when you stop think about all these years, it, what a great accomplishment it was. But you know, when you're young, you don't realize those kind of things. And the more, the longer it goes, the more you realize what a great performance it was. Did uh, so? What happened with him? So I mean, I know he did play in the big leagues briefly. Did he have some injuries or something? It seems like he would have had, had a longer had chronic ulcers. Oh. Take stuff in between innings and that to, to settle the stomach and that, and he had chronic ulcers. And, and we, of course, the next year we uh, we both got drafted into the service. It was during the Korea conflict, and uh, he got out of the service. And uh, oh, he wasn't in it more than about a month and a half because he couldn't eat the food and everything with his ulcers. And uh, and he went out and. Uh, pitched before the next season, I guess, in the semi-pro or something like that. I forget what it was in, in Pennsylvania. He was from Monongahela, Pennsylvania. And uh, he blew his arm out, and uh, it was rotor cuff surgery. If he had had it in those days, he probably would have been back and pitching that, but he never just required, you know, re regained his strength in the arm and everything like that because they didn't have the operation in those days. And uh, he pitched in the minor leagues, uh, a couple more years in that and wasn't very successful and, and they quit and went in uh, worked for a sporting goods uh, became a sporting goods representative and made a very nice living we we see each other whenever i'd go into pittsburgh we, you know we'd get together in that and, and uh, so he 
had a good career in another business, but he, you know, he still is involved with the Pirate uh, alumni. He does a lot of work for the Pirates and the alumni uh, golf tournaments and things like that. So, yeah. Did you got either of you guys get any mementos from that game, like the last game ball that was a strikeout, or you know, a glove or dirt, or did you did you guys think to save anything from that day? No, we didn't really think much about it because. <laughs> No, people, we didn't think much about memorabilia in those days and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he did. They gave him a uh, – they honored him in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, oh, it was when I was with Cincinnati. Uh, he, they gave him a big plaque at the ballpark there. And uh, I was coaching Cincinnati at that time, and they let me go down there for a couple of days. And my wife and I went down and spent time with him. And, and, uh, and a fella came up to him, and he – Said he was our bat boy during that time, and he had a, he had an autographed ball, the the lineup with all the the guys in it. So Ron gave that to the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and I guess it's in the minor league section back there. So uh, I did get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's every man's dream, right? <laughs> of course, I told everybody that's the only way I could get in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll have to look for that someday. Now, you spent. So you mentioned it briefly. So you spent two years in the military, uh, you know, Korean War during '53 and '54, and then you also managed the Army teams at Camp Drake in Japan. So you know, what was that experience? And what do you think back to most when you think of those two years now? Well, that, it was really. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, what happened was that uh, I was when I went into the service. Uh, I went to through eight weeks of basic training and then he sent me back to Fort Benjamin Harrison in Indiana uh, to become a stenographer and a court reporter and all that kind of stuff and when I went over to Japan I was at Tokyo I was supposed to become a, a general's aide I guess and, and after the formation I went out to the gym and uh, the sports officer was there and I asked him if there was any chance I could <laughs> work at the gym because I wanted to stay in baseball you know play sports and that and uh, they pulled me off orders, and I became the sports NCO at uh, Camp Drake and ran the athletic department, you know, the intramural thing and everything like that. And it was a great experience. I managed the baseball team. Uh, I played on the basketball uh, team there and uh, then was the traveling secretary for the football team. Uh, you know, so I had uh, very nice service, you know, and... Uh, my brother always kids me because my brother uh, was over in Korea earlier, and he has a plate in his, his head from getting injured in, in Korea and that. And, uh, so he always kids me, oh, well, they did all that fighting to save us jocks, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he says, I'm just kidding you because, you know, I'm happy you didn't have to go serve and, and fight and everything, and I am too. But I did have real, real easy, good uh, service in uh, Tokyo, and it was good for me because I learned how to organize things and uh, instructions and all that kind of stuff, you know, and that helped me later on when I became a minor league manager. Well, here's one thing I bet you haven't been asked about in years and years and years, but um, so you come back from Japan, and I'm excited to hear you talk about, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, so you come back over... Oh. And, uh, you know, they don't have an affiliated minor league baseball there anymore. They've got the independent ball, obviously, now. But, you know, you played for the Lincoln Chiefs in 1955. In yeah. What do you remember about that? Oh, that was, that was 
that was a great time. Well, for more reasons than just baseball, because the wife and I got married, and that was our first year of marriage was back in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, went back there, and, and uh, we loved Lincoln. It was really nice, and uh, Bill Burwell was our manager. He was uh, ex-pitcher in the big leagues, and uh, he was an elderly man, and Mr. Ricky wanted him to handle the, the pitching staff at Lincoln because so many of the prospects were there, and uh, so I was fortunate enough to be the catcher there. Uh, our announcer was Bill King, who was, uh, you know, went on to be spend many years with out in San Francisco with uh, uh, the A's, you know, and and did uh, uh, Warrior basketball, and uh, you know, so we had a lot of experience there. And, and then I played there two years, '55 and '57. In '57, our manager was Larry Shepard, and we won the pennant that year, 1957, and that was quite a story. We won it on the last day of the season. So we have great experiences about Lincoln, and we really liked living there. I liked uh, the area. It was it was nice. Uh, so, and Shepard was, uh, he lived there, too. I think he married a girl from, uh, from Lincoln, and they made their home there for years. Huh. Now, Sherman Field is actually still there, of course, so I played, you know, oh, on, <laughs> yeah, I, pl I played there in high school and played some Legion ball, and the Royals have Alex Gordon now, obviously, and he, you know, played tons and tons of games there growing up in Lincoln is where he grew up, so that's, do you have any, you know, it's, I think they actually renovated it recently, but do you have any memories of that park in, in particular? Oh, God, yes, of course, uh, you know, we, we like the park, but the thing is, every time there was a tornado warning or anything like that, we'd, uh, get out of our apartments and we'd go out to the ballpark and there would be almost the whole club out there because you know, they had those trenches uh, from the road between the road and, and the stands and that and we always think we could always jump in those ditches if the tornado ever came in <laughs> we kid about that all the time you know but uh, we had you know, I really like Sherman Park you had the, the mill right across the wasn't it Globe Mill is that it? Uh huh. yep was right across the way, and uh, you could smell that sometimes during the day games <laughs> when they were working over there. And that, but yeah, we had some good time. Of course, uh, Dick Stewart was th those years too, a couple of those years there. And uh, you know, that one year he hit the 66 home runs, what in '56? Yeah. And uh, that was an all-time record. And uh, then the next year he he came back and he hit. 45 or 54 something like that I forget it was so that was that was that was really something we had and they had decent crowds in those days they really uh, we liked Lincoln I have to put it that way yeah it's hard for me to even imagine that you know Branch Rickey was there and there was a, a affiliated baseball it's just hard for me to imagine that growing up now you know <laughs> yeah 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 Mr. Rickey was quite an individual too he's probably the most impressive uh, person I ever met in my young life I think I, I just I was awed by the man I mean you know I heard about all his experience how cheap he was and everything like that but I I, I thought he was really a fascinating man uh, he was so much fun to talk to and and uh, listen to his expertise and everything like that I learned an awful lot from uh, just listening to Mr. Ricky yeah he was quite uh, quite the baseball man did you ever meet Jackie Robinson by the way no I never had no no okay uh, Unfortunately, I wish I had, but I never did. No. Yeah, that's someone else think of there. So you had a few more years in the Pittsburgh organization then. 
so 1958, you're 24 years old, and you begin as a player manager in Tucson. So you're best defensive catcher in three categories. You hit 349 there in Tucson. So, how, I mean, how did you start managing and playing? How did that come about? Well, uh, the last year in, in 1957 when I was there at Lincoln, Nebraska, the, Mr. Ricky talked to me. He said there's a... He said they didn't feel that I was going to be a front line, ever be a front line catcher in the big leagues. And uh, he said that I could, uh, they were thinking about possibly uh, having an opening in a minor league club in uh, lower leagues and that, and wondered if I would like to be a player manager in the Oregon. You know, in those days they had a lot of player managers. And uh, I thought, gee, at 24 years old, I'm too young to, you know, not giving another shot to making that. So he gave me the opportunity. He said uh, during the winter they thought they were going to pick up uh, another club, but it ended up that they dropped. They had to drop two clubs, I guess financial concerns or whatever. Well, I don't know. So there wasn't an opening. And Mr. Ricky said uh, you, can, you can stay in the organization and, and uh, be in AAA as a catcher, or if you want to look around and, and – uh, with other clubs and that, we can give you a release. And so I said, well, I'd like to take my release. So I said, I'm too young, I think, Mr. Ricky, to start managing. I'd like to try. He said, well, okay. You know, he understood that. So he gave me my release. And uh, Sacramento Solons were in the Coast League, and, and uh, they had a tryout camp before spring training, and I went out there and uh, – and they signed me right away, and we went to spring training. Well, in, in the spring training with the Solons that year, uh, we had four catchers. We had Bob Rosselli, we had Clayton Dalrypo, we had John McNamara, and myself. Hmm. So there was four catchers. <laughs> you know, they were only going to keep two, no matter how you looked at it. So we were in spring training, and uh, Sacramento got a working agreement with the Tucson Ball Club. And... Uh, they came to me and said, well, you know, we know what you talked about. You know, you've been, Mr. Ricky had talked about you possibly being a player manager. Would you like to go down and do that to, for us? And it will open two positions, you know, if you have a real good year hitting and playing in that, that, you know, maybe somebody will pick you up. And if if, if that doesn't happen and if you have a successful year managing, that will open up the other doors for you. So the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why not try it? Talk to the wife about it. We decided, why not? So went down there, and it was uh, probably the best move I ever made. Uh, and after hitting 349, and, you know, and we took second place in the league, we were only, what, a game and a half out, I think. Uh, and, uh, and nobody came to me about playing again that much, so I thought, well, I made a good decision, so then went into minor league managing most of the time. So it was a good experience. I really loved it, too. Yeah, well, from 61 to 64, you did that again with Stockton in the uh, in the Orioles organization. And I was also reading an interview with you where you said you'd come in in the blowout games and take one for the team. So you would pitch sometimes to save the bullpen, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that was one of the, my strong points was my arm. I had a, always had a real good throwing arm and, and never had an arm, you know, knock on wood, never had a sore arm in my whole career playing. And uh, so I would come in, you know, and I had good control. Being a catcher, you have to be able to have decent control, you know, throwing the ball. So uh, I'd come in and very seldom walk to anybody, and they might hit the ball 100 miles off me. Is that? But, you know, I'd just come in and take it because 
you know, in the minor leagues in those days, you had 18-men roster, so you didn't have many pitchers. You only had about eight pitchers. So if you get into a, a blowout game and you were behind by six or seven runs in the first couple of innings, I mean, you, you, you use up your whole bullpen, you know, or who was left. So as a player manager, and I was still young enough to do that, I'd just go in and uh, what difference it make if I sucked up a few runs? It wasn't going to, you know, affect my career. So uh, I'd go and do that, and it was really funny. And uh, the one year, 1963, when we won the pennant in the California League, I did that, and three times we came from behind and won, and I was 3-0, and I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, of course, that was an exceptional minor league team I had that year, too. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so you had a few more years on the Angels system than both as a player-manager. You won a championship at San Jose in 1967. Then you coached for Seattle in 1968. So here's where it gets exciting. So then the expansion Royals come into the picture. So let's ask you lots of questions about your Royals days now. So first of all, how did you find out about the open Royals job? And then did you have a connection to the team back then? And then what do you remember about the interview process? Well, what it was was that... uh you know, being up there in Seattle, and I was with the Angels, and uh, Joe, they, the pilots had got the franchise, but they still had the Angel organization was supplying players, but uh, the pilots, uh, you know, that in, in 1968, they were buying all these players, uh, you know, with Boughton and uh, Stafford and uh, O'Toole and guys like that come in because they were hoping to have them the next year with the pilots, and... Uh, I went up there as a, a pitching coach uh, and a, a third base coach for uh, Seattle and handled our pitching. We had Andy Messerschmidt and we had uh, uh, Murphy and, and uh, oh God, we had a few other. I forget who else we had, but you know we had some of the Angels' best pitching prospects, AAA pitchers. So <clears throat> they wanted somebody up there to really watch them take care of them, make sure that they didn't get hurt and all that. So I was a pitching coach and the third base coach up there. And uh, a part-time, I was an active part-time player because in those days with Seattle, uh, a lot of the ball players were in the Army uh, and the service reserves, of course, and they'd have to go for their two weeks of training during the summer. Hmm. So I'd be put on as an active player and actually got one at bat in the Coast League, struck out, so... My career ended one strikeout the first time up and one strikeout the last time up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was the Angel organization and the minor league hitting instructor for the Angels, the four years I was in the Angel organization, was Joe Gordon. Oh. He was the minor league hitting instructor. And, uh, you know, we got to know each other because he, he had moved to Sacramento after he managed the Sacramento Ball Club back in the 50s. And we, we knew each other over the years and that. And... Uh, he always told me he liked the work that I did in the minor leagues, and he says, if I ever get a major league uh, manager job again, he says, uh, I'm going to take you as a coach. And, you know, I said, well, that's great, Joe. Thank you. You know, I, I, I've heard that from about three other people. It never happened, <laughs> you know. So I didn't think anything about it, and after the season was over in Seattle, the pilots uh, called me in, and uh, I thought maybe they were going to offer me a job coaching in the big leagues the next year, but... They wanted me to scout uh, California, Washington, Oregon, and then handle the rookie league for them uh, after the June uh, draft. And uh, 
I told him I didn't want to do that. I just as soon, uh, and there was no big increase in pay or anything like that. I just as soon stay with the Angels. They were very, Roland Heeman and and, Holt and Fred Haney and Mr. Autry were all very good to me all the years I was there. So uh, I thought, well, I'd rather stay with them. And so after uh, it was over, the, the wife and I and the family, we drove back from Seattle. and never even turned on the radio all the way home. We just went along the coast from Seattle to down to Sacramento, you know, and it was beautiful. And when I got home, a next-door neighbor said, did you hear what happened to Joe Gordon? I said, oh, my God, something, you know, something bad. And I said, no, what? He said, they just named him the manager of the expansion Kansas City Royals. And I said, oh, really? So when we went in after I unpacked, I called Joe, and I congratulated him, you know, and I didn't even bring it up. And he says, oh, by the way, he said, uh, are you free tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I think so. Why? And he says, well, come on over. I, I, I have a couple jobs I'd like you, handyman jobs I'd like you to, to do in the house for me. And I said, yeah, okay, because I, I worked as a carpenter uh, for home builder in the winter about three years. Huh. Anyway, so I said, okay. So the next day I go over there about 10 o'clock, and I, I walk in. Uh, his wife, uh, Dorothy, lets me in the house, and I go in, and he says, Joe's back in his study going back there. And I went back, and he's on the phone. And he's talking on the phone, and he turns around, oh, Harry, how are you? He says, oh, by the way, he says, uh, there's a manila envelope there. Will you take a look and see what's in there? And I went over and I opened it, and it was a, a coach's contract for the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> and he, yeah, I looked at it, and I guess you could see the shock on my face, you know, finally getting to the big leagues. And I looked over, and I said, you want me to kiss you now or later? <laughs> <laughs> he started laughing, and he was on the phone with Cedric Tallis. Oh. And so it was all set up to do that, you know. And so then he had me talk to Cedric. And, of course, I knew Cedric because he had uh, been with the Angels. He had worked for the Angels, too. Uh, we were all in that organization at one time, you know. So uh, anyway, so that's how it happened. Wow. And I didn't know about it until I went over to his house, and he told me to look in there, and there was a major league contract, a coaching contract. Wow, what a cool story. Is, is that one of the most exciting days of your life? Oh, my God, yes. You know, I couldn't wait to, you know, call Joanne and tell her, <laughs> we made it. We're in the big leagues. <laughs> so if you ever see the cover of uh, my book, I don't know if you've seen the cover of the thing, but there's a picture on of me, and I'm pushing a, a cart, and it's got the bats and the balls and the catcher's gear and, you know, everything, and I'm, I'm pushing the thing. And... My kids always said, Dad, what, why do you love that picture? I said, because that was my first day in the Major League camp at, Can at Fort Myers, Florida, with Kansas City. And I'm going to do anything. I told myself I'm going to do anything to stay in the big leagues and get a pension. <laughs> so I'm pushing. I got a glove on one hand. I'm pushing the cart. And I got all the bats and the balls. I'm going to a backfield to throw batting practice to guys or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, so I love that picture. <laughs> So finally made it. That's great. So nice. Makes it so worth it too. Now were so were you involved? Did you have any say then in the '69 expansion draft? Yes, uh, the winter meetings were in San Francisco that year, and they invited me down and to get to know all the the people, you know, with the Royals and that. And we were down there, and I was involved when they went into the draft. And when we were, in fact, uh, I was the one that uh, brought up uh, drafting. Uh, or making a trade with Seattle after the draft for uh, Lou Pinella. 
Because I had seen Pinella the year before when I was at Seattle. He was at uh, uh, Portland. Uh, he was in Cleveland organization, and he was actually leading the league in hitting at Portland. And uh, you know, Lou had a little bit of a temper, and uh, he got upset because he popped up uh, against us with a base load, and he run down the first base, and he kicked the bag, and he. He either sprained his ankle real bad or had a small break in or something like that. And, and he, he didn't play the rest of the season, and he lost out winning the batting title because he didn't get enough at-bats in the Coast League that year to win it. So after we had the draft, we had an awful lot of left-handed hitting uh, outfielders, and we didn't have any uh, strong right-handed hitting outfielders. And we were talking. We were all together there talking, and they said, you know, it would sure be good if we could get a – a right-handed uh, bat out in the outfield and that, and I said, and I brought up the name, I said, how about Lou Pinella? I said, uh, you know, you can't throw a fastball by that guy. I mean, he's a, he's a real good-looking hitter. I said, he, he wasn't the best outfielder in the world at that time, but I said, you know, he's a real good offensive player. And, and uh, anyway, so that was how it got started, and then they, they made the trade with Seattle and got Pinella, and he ended up being the rookie of the year that year. Nice. That's ex- that's exciting. Uh, I talked um, several years ago. I interviewed Charlie Metro when he was uh, still alive, and and I know he helped out some with that kind of stuff too. He told me that. Uh, have you heard this before? He told me that you guys were somewhat close to drafting or signing Mickey Mantle as a player coach in '69. Did you ever hear that before? I never. I never heard that story before. No. Huh. I never have. Interesting. Oh, that's funny. That's per- that's the first time I ever heard that. Yeah. Because he said, he said, you know, it was obviously he didn't play that year. 68 was his last year. But, you know, the Oklahoma boy being close, a regional guy that could be a player coach, yeah. DH some. So, I don't know. I thought, or not DH, but, you know, pinch hit and stuff. So, um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. That's what, that's what Charlie told me several years ago. Um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. No, I don't know. And I used to see Charlie all the time when we go into Denver, you know, after they got into the big leagues. I'd talk to Charlie because, uh, you know, we were there together with the, the Royals. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, so you mentioned 1969 Fort Myers. What do you remember about that first spring training the most? Well, uh, probably one of the biggest things is I roomed with Mel Harder in spring training because, uh, you know, we didn't take the kids out of school, so Joanne didn't come down to spring training with the kids and that. And I roomed with Mel Harder, and it was his 40, 40th year in, in Major League Baseball. Huh. He was uh, 20 years as a pitcher. <laughs> And 20 years as a, a pitching coach, and I probably drove him nuts, picking his brain all the time. We roomed together because, you know, being I never played in the big leagues, I'd ask him things like, what's, what's the big difference I'm going to see in the big leagues compared to AAA ball and, you know, this kind of stuff. And, and uh, what a great guy to be a roommate in your first year in the big leagues, you know. And, and uh, oh, I learned so much about pitching and uh, from him, what a what a fantastic uh, person he was, and, and uh, I, I couldn't wait every time we go into Cleveland uh, in the interleague and that when he started that, I'd always call uh, call him and talk to him, and uh, you know he threw out the first ball in the Cleveland ballpark when they came uh, when they built that new ballpark, and uh, not this latest one, but the, you know the the second one after Municipal Stadium. Quite a man, quite a man. Yeah, yeah totally. So. Uh, that I remember that so much, and just the whole experience of being in the big leagues was so great, and uh, and 
you know, in spring training, and you see these guys you've been reading about and probably never saw before, you know, and being a California kid and never see some of these guys, and you, you get to know a lot of the ball players. It was just a great experience and uh, one I'll never forget. Oh. Well, and you got big Lee Mill money, too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that helps That was us. very important. <laughs> <laughs> that was a better, little better than the five dollars a day or <laughs> yeah. a day. Yeah, no, no kidding on that. And then the big league meal money came in handy with all the Kansas City barbecue, you know, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. You know, but we had great times. Oh my, my seven years in Kansas City couldn't have been any better. If I had known when we started out that I was going to be able to spend seven years there, we probably would have moved there. But, uh, you know, you never know, and, and uh, we had our family all back here, both of our families. So, uh, but we love Kansas City. Our kids, like I said, our kids grew up in Kansas City, you know, so that was uh, great. They still have friends that uh, were friends when they were there in Kansas City that long ago. That's great. Well, so another day, I'm sure you have, you know, not only that first day, and you know, you mentioned in uh, Fort Myers, but I'm sure also 69 opening day. It's your first day. He obviously in a big league dugout regular season game, and then Joe Keogh comes through and delivers the pinch hit game winning single. Do you remember much about that first opening day? You know, I really, I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited and everything. I really don't remember an awful lot about it. I, I guess I was just so damn nervous probably that first day. Yeah. You know, but I remember Keel getting hit. Yeah, no question about that. I, you know, you remember little bits here and there, but the, the whole day, I've, I've thought about that many times. I've been asked that a lot of times. And I said, God, no, it was a great experience, but I honestly don't remember an awful lot about it other than the, the game, him getting the hit, you know, but it was exciting. It certainly was. Yeah, and, then, and all seven years were that way. I mean, you know, we for the expansion team, we I thought we played very well that year, and uh, and we did. Uh, records show that that you know we were one of the best, better first year expansion teams ever. You know, and uh, but we did have quite an ex- one of the things. If uh, I, uh, I'll never forget in that first year, we beat Baltimore. The first year of the Orioles, the first year we play, uh, the first game we played against them that year, we beat them. Then we set a record, I think, by losing twenty something consecutive games <laughs> to Baltimore. We never, you know, and uh, I mean that was really amazing. And, we, and some of the games we lost were unbelievable. We lost one game in Baltimore when we were we were uh, ahead by a run. And then there was a tie game, and they had men on uh, second and third. Belanger was on third, I remember that. And uh, Hendricks was coming up to hit. And uh, Joe said, oh, let's put him on and get the Belanger. I mean, Belanger was going to come up next. Yeah, I'm sorry. Belanger was going to come up after Hendricks. So we walked Hendricks to get the Belanger and have the bases loaded. And uh, as they were going to pitch out to... Walk Hendricks, the pitcher threw a ball against the screen, and the <laughs> winning run scored from third base. <laughs> oh no! We never even had a play, and we lost the game. Oh <laughs> man, you know that one sticks in my mind. So I always, from that day on, you know, when I became a, any manager again in the minor leagues, I always made sure that my guys worked on uh, throwing pitch out. <laughs> <laughs> Because they say, oh, well, they should have just, you know, that automatic four, just tell them to go to first base. I never believed in that because I've 
I saw how we lost the game. Yeah. When the guy couldn't throw the ball in the pitch out. That's unusual. Yeah. Now, Municipal Stadium, you know, people, I've talked to so many guys, and the first thing they always say is George Toma, best playing surface in, in all of baseball. You know, what else sticks out to you? When you think back to that beautiful old park, what do you think of? It was hot in the summer, I'll tell you that, because it was sunken, and boy, the humidity could get real bad in there, you know. And, and uh, I loved the ballpark, though. I, I, you know, uh, a lot of people say, oh, it was so old and that, and it was. The air conditioning didn't work sometimes in the clubhouse and this and that, you know. I mean, it was it was really getting old and, and it was run down, but uh, it was great, and the, and the people that lived around there were great fans. Uh, you know, they really were warm to us and everything. It, it, it was good, but I, I have to tell you one story. Really, it's uh, <laughs> I think it's funny. It's uh, uh, JoJo White was our third base coach uh-huh. that first year, you know, and uh, JoJo had been played for like I don't know seven eight years in the uh, major leagues for Detroit. He was a good outfielder, probably had around two eighty lifetime average in that, and, and he was a very good uh, third base coach. He really was. So we're playing, the, it's the 4th of July, and we're playing a doubleheader in the Municipal Stadium. And it is hot, and it is so humid on that field. And I'm coaching first base, and he's coaching third base, and, and the heat is really getting to him because that was JoJo's last year in baseball, and, and he only came back and coached third base to, as a favor to Joe Gordon, you know, and because they had been together in, in, in the minor leagues and the big leagues together. And, that, and uh, so he's, he's coaching, and... and we get to the second game, and it's uh, heat is really getting bad, and JoJo, you can tell it's starting to get to him. So he comes in, and Joe says, that Gordon says to him, uh, JoJo, why don't you sit out the rest of the game and let Harry Golden coach third base and, you know, just take it easy. Oh, he says, Joe. He's Georgia. He was from Georgia. And he, hey, Joe, he says, uh, it's not the heat it's getting to me. It's that humility. <laughs> <laughs> Not the humid, not the humility, <laughs> and the and the bench just cracked up. Oh, the guy! It was, it really loosened everybody up. It was funny because everybody was sweating and hot, and that. And when he when he said that, everybody just cracked up, and, and we <laughs> we went on and won that game. I'll never forget that. That was funny. Humility. I ended up coaching third base the the, less, the rest of that game, you know. But it was it was about the sixteenth of the game or something like that. We came from behind and won the game. But Joe Joe said, "Joe, it's not the heat that's getting me; it's that humility." <laughs> <laughs> humility. That's a good one. Uh, now, he was funny though. He was a great guy. Yeah. Funny. We had a great coaching staff with was he at third base? I was at first base. Owen Friend was our infield coach, and then the. Uh, of course, I told you our pitching coach was, uh, you know, he's just a fantastic man. Yeah, so that was it. Didn't have six coaches in those days. Yeah. Now, talk about, uh, you mentioned, I wanted to ask you about two guys in particular. You know, we lost Joe Gordon, obviously, but what kind of man was he? And then also, same question for Owen Friend. What kind of what? Just what kind of man was he, you know? Like, talk about how he was as a person and, you know, everything like that, good memories and all that good oh, stuff. Joe Gordon, Joe Gordon was a great guy. Uh, you know, uh, he was – we always got along real good. He treated me outstanding. And, and uh, you know, we'd go into New York and places like that. And man, he'd take me to these places and introduce me to these people, you know, the well-known celebrities and everything like that. And he'd make it sound like I was the guy that – spent those years in the big leagues and that, you know, I mean, 
he always uh, he just was a class guy and, and uh, was very knowledgeable about a lot of things. Got along with people real well. Had one of those great uh, uh, he could remember guys' names, people's names, uh, outstanding. I, I can't think of the the ex basketball player. It, it, it had that uh, you know where they uh, so they uh, have in your mind you set up different things, how to remember people. I can't even think of the guy. Anyway, Joe was great at that. I, I remember when we had our uh, caravan uh, before the season started. We're going along. We were in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> and we were supposed to, and we were having, uh, I guess it was breakfast or lunch, I guess. We had lunch, uh, luncheon in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we were going to Omaha. We were supposed to be at Omaha that night. And uh, it was snowing. And they they actually closed the highways after we got to Omaha. It was that bad, and we when, so we're driving, and it took us forever to get from Lincoln to Omaha. And uh, when we got there, we got to the, I think it was a fairgrounds uh, uh, hall, whatever it was. I forget. We went in there, and the people were all waiting. You know, we were late. And we're backstage, and, and here's the lieutenant governor of uh, Nebraska, and. Uh, all these celebrities and that was, and we were introduced to them, and they rush us right out on the stage, and they introduced Joe right away, and he gets up and he, he remembered he remembered all their names. Hmm. It was uh, Lieutenant Governor Overstreet, I believe, was his name mm-hmm. at that time. That's 1969. I always remember that because of the way Joe did it. And that night after it was over, you know, we went back to the hole and we're, uh, the hotel, and we're in the bar having a drink before we go to bed. And I said to Joe. Joe, how did you remember all those people's names? That we weren't there two minutes before they ran us out in the stage. And he told me he used to have this system where he, when he met people, he put them on the baseball field. He put them at different positions, and he'd take something out of their name and use that as a baseball terminology. And then that way, when he looked at the person, he remembered their name through that process. Huh. It was amazing. And he remembered uh, Lieutenant Governor Overstreet, and you know I get, can't remember all the, but he he remembered all these names. So I always tried to work at that in the past, <laughs> in the future, you know, and try and remember that. I was never as good as he is, so that was for sure. So, but he was quite a guy, and Owen Friend uh, was from Wichita, Kansas. He was a nice guy, good guy, and and. He played in the big leagues with the Browns, St. Louis Browns, and then played a lot of years in AAA ball and that. And he was a good instructor, and, and we just had a a good bunch of guys, and it, and it was and it was real good with the, the crew that we had. Uh, I was the youngest guy nationally, so I led the calisthenics in the morning and all that kind of stuff in spring training. And Owen was the next uh, youngest, and then the two older guys. And uh, but we were. I think it was a good setup with uh, the young kids because you know in the expansion you have most of the guys that we we drew we drafted the younger guys where Seattle drew a lot of the veterans we didn't have that many veterans on that first you know in the first years but it was it was a good combination I think uh, we working with them and they with us you know and, and it, it was good. Yeah, it sure worked out well. Now, do you remember a uh, a very very young Denny Matthews in the booth and anything about Buddy Blantler? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And we knew 
I knew he was a football player too because he always told us about how he was a wide receiver in, in college, you know. And isn't it? Yeah, Denny, we got along great right from the start. You know, we both first time in the big leagues, you know, and, and uh, we became good friends there. Yeah, it was uh, he was quite a guy. Yeah, we and like I said, uh, I told uh, Larry when I was talking to him the other night uh, that for the first seven years of the Royals, he and I were the only two people that saw every inning of every game. <laughs> we never missed anything. Like uh, Buddy Blattner was the announcer at the beginning, but he, he left. Uh, his daughter was graduating from college, I guess it was. He left one time for that. And uh, some of the other guys, one reason or another, they, they weren't there. But we were the only two on the field, you know, active in the baseball park that saw every inning of every game. It's pretty uh, pretty amazing seeing Denny in the Hall of Fame now. It's well-deserved for him, you know, in Cooperstown. Oh, yes, well-deserved. Good announce. Really did his home. He always did his homework well. Even from the beginning, he was very good, very precise, and, and you know, really looking into everything. And, and uh, you know, and that, that's a sign of an outstanding announcer, I think, that they really look into not just the stars of the team but everybody and, and find out little things about them that, yeah. Now, how genius was the Royals Academy when you think back to that? You know, how, how far ahead of their time were the Royals on that? Well, I thought it was a real good idea myself. Uh, actually, the funny thing about it, that there was a friction between some of the people on the big league side and then the ones in the academy. And uh, I really don't understand why, but there was. And uh, I don't know because they thought they were trying to one was better than the other. I don't know. I thought it was a good idea. I volunteered to go down there and be one of the coaches, but uh, Mr. Kaufman uh, insisted that everybody that uh, taught in the academy at the beginning was a college graduate. And uh, I certainly wasn't in that category because I didn't go to college but uh, other than night school. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I thought that, you know, getting guy because there are an awful lot of players I always thought that get overlooked by scouts if they're not in the right place at the right time or in a good high school team or something, you know. So uh, I thought it was a good idea. But I think it proved to be a, it proved to be a good idea, but I think it got awful expensive. I think that was the big thing that it finally had to close down. But, you know, when you get somebody like Frank White out of there, uh, how can it be bad? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, Jack McKeon uh, went down there and did – things in the academy too and he he learned an awful lot doing it he said that uh, it was a good experience for him and and uh, you know it helped him out when he became big league manager yeah yeah it, it definitely paid its dividends now 1970 there were two managers charlie metro who we mentioned earlier and then uh, bob lemon so kind of talk about those two guys and what they were like well charlie you know was a old school guy and and uh and you know he was uh, it just didn't work out with charlie he 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 didn't get along real good with the younger players i guess is the way to put it he was a good veterans type manager but i think with the younger players uh, he expected too much of them i i'm not really sure exactly but we didn't win and uh, and lim lim had been our pitching coach and he and uh, joe actually uh, gordon and Cedric Tallis had hired him at the end of the season before, and he was going to be the pitching coach in the 70s. And he did, and he started out as the pitching coach. And, and then, of course, when they let Charlie go, they made him the manager, which was a good decision because he did a good job. 
Uh, Lem was one of a kind. That's all I can say. I roomed with him. Uh, I had a house uh, I rented in Independence uh, in 70 and 71, and uh, Lem Lem and uh, Owen Friend and, uh, oh, uh, God, our third base coach went on to, he, he managed the, the pilots in the first year from St. Louis. Can you think of his name now? Uh, anyway, they all roomed with me until our families came back in June, and uh, Lem did the cooking. I did the, the washing and the drying of the dishes, and uh, <laughs> and Owen Friend uh, took care of the cleaning in the house, and, oh, Hey, I can't think of uh, our third base coach. Well, Schultz, you're... Joe Schultz. Oh, my God. Oh, Schultz, yeah, in 70, yep. And Joe Schultz took care of the yard. <laughs> 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 and we all had our assignments in the do. <laughs> and uh, uh, Lem, Lem and I just became real good friends. And uh, Lem, Lem was just a super guy. Uh, he, he was another guy that uh, always made you feel when you were with other people and importance, he always made you sound like the guy that was the important one, not him. I mean, he he, he just uh, just a class act. He really was. I, I just always liked Lem. Always stayed friends for a long, long time until he passed away. Yeah. Now, the, I mean, going back a little bit, did how come uh, Joe Gordon left after '69? And did, did you ever think you might get let go of at any point? No, I, I I don't know if he just wanted to, uh, never really heard exactly what uh, transpired. What the, uh, he never said anything about it. He, uh, maybe he he just said that uh, I heard later on in years that uh, he was a compromise manager the first year to begin with. I they I forget who they wanted. Uh, some uh, wanted this guy. Somebody wanted this and that. And I guess. Cedric had said something about, well, how about uh, Joe Gordon? Because uh, people in Kansas City know who Joe Gordon is because he had managed there before, you know, at Kansas City when they were the athletics. And uh, and I heard that. I don't know if it's true or not because I never asked anybody about it. It didn't matter as far as I was concerned, uh, you know. Uh, and so he just, uh, the, after that one year, the next thing I knew in the winter, uh, I get a phone call, and, and uh, Joe tells me, he says that he's not going to manage this year, and Charlie's going to take over. Well, I knew Charlie, so that was good, and Charlie Charlie was right there, too, and he called me, and, you know, he talked to me on the phone and said he'd like me to uh, stay and, and coach for him, and I said, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah, you know, we, so we got along. All right, there was no problem there. So uh, so I, I think it maybe it was just one of those things that Joe was originally – was just going to do it the one year, and that was it. But I'm not positive. I, you know, I don't know. But that's just the way it transpired. And he he never did seem angry about it or anything. So I assumed he, you know, it was all in the in the plans to begin with. Well, so after 1972, Bob Lemon leaves then. And then it's Jack McKeon who comes back, obviously somebody you know uh, from the good old Pirates days. So, you know, how exciting was it working with Jack? We had known each other, you know, when we were in the pirate organization, even though we never played together, because we both being catchers and that. But, you know, we knew each other uh, somewhat. And then when uh, I went over the Royals, and he went over the Royals, and he was managing in minor leagues for the Royals, we we really struck up the, the friendship then in spring training and everything. You know, we'd be uh, together a lot because around the same age, you know, and uh, and we 
became real good friends, and to this day, we're good friends, and it, it, it's been a great friendship. Uh, you know, he he was he's been awful good to me over the years, and jobs and everything like that, and, and uh, you know, it's been nice. In fact, in my book, he uh, he has uh, a part at the beginning where he talks about, uh, you know, they I didn't even know they were going to do that, but he did. He put a nice little thing in there, blurb about how close we were in that. So that, that's nice. He uh, actually spoke with him, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, and he told me the funny story. Do you remember the, the first day when Royal Stadium opened, how the FBI came in and did a prank on him? Vaguely. Yeah, Vaguely. he had a, a former player, I guess, who called up and had the FBI detain him back in the clubhouse as a joke, and the former player he'd managed was in the FBI now. So I thought that was kind of a, <laughs> a funny story. You know, What else do you remember about that brand-new ballpark? Anything stick out about you know the new stadium? I'll never forget, the, you know, what a difference in the clubhouses, and, you know, from the old municipal stadium and then in that one. That was the first thing. The air conditioning worked all the time. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the thing that uh, you had a love of, about that park was the, the tunnel underneath the parking lot over to Arrowhead Stadium. And, you know, during the summer when we'd be having – batting practice, early batting practice, and that the football players in their summer practice and, and some of the guys would come walking underneath the tunnel and come over there to Royal Stadium and, and the guys would take batting practice with us and this and that, and you got to know the football players. You know, I can always remember that. That was really something. And, uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, and my son worked for George Tomon. He was on his ground crew huh. all the time we were there, too, in that part. And uh, so he has some great experiences uh, from that. I don't know if you've ever seen all the old uh, uh, highlight films that they show after all the years in, in that park. Have you ever seen those days, all those things? Not all, not in all the years, but yeah, a good majority of them. Well, there was, I, got, I, I forget what year it was, but the, <laughs> our son Dave was on the ground crew, and his job was with his other kid that when it started raining, they were putting tops on, they put the ones on the mound. You know, and, and, of course, the other guys would be out in the outfield and rolling in the big one. And George always told him, make sure you put that tarp down and get the hell out of there because, he says, when that tarp comes over, it, it, all the oxygen will leave. And, you know, and this and that. So my son was about, oh, 10, 12 then, I guess. <laughs> 12 probably. He was probably about 12 or 13. I, I can't remember. The anyway. And uh, he's in, he's out there, and, and they come rolling in with tart, and they start leaving the mound, and he trips and falls. <laughs> and now the guys are coming over with the big tarp, and he comes running out, and his, his eyes are about as big as saucers, uh, coffee <laughs> cup saucers, you know. He's scared to death, and he comes running out, and they took a picture of that. And uh, I think they used that on the highlights. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's funny, you know. People are roaring, you know. <laughs> I always kid them about it. <laughs> Because Toma told him, if you get caught underneath there, you know, you're never going to get out. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we have a lot of great memories in uh, that ballpark. Loved it. Loved it. And, uh, of course, the the big advantage that we had, especially the first year, was the way the outfield, the the drainage ditch went around the outfield fence. Mm -hmm. And if you hit a ball down the corners... uh, the ball would hit, and if it was hugged the, the corners of the, the stands, it would go right into that dish and go right around the outfield. 
Willie Wilson had all those triples that first year. He got up there, and he was hitting that ball, and he would, that thing would get by the outfielders and go in that trench and just <laughs> run around, you know. I never forgot that. We had a great advantage. We had a lot of triples at that first year in that ballpark. That. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, it was like playing pinball. Uh, so yeah, right. Right, right. A, a young guy named George Brett came to the big leagues in 1973. So your earliest memories of George, and then, I mean, obviously you knew he was talented. Could you ever have imagined how good of a career he'd have at that point? No, you don't really uh, You don't really think an awful lot about those things when the kid. You knew he had great talent, and he was a, you know, a super guy. And uh, But when you saw him hit, you just knew it. Just the stroke that he had and the way he hit the ball, he was going to be a good hitter. I mean, you know, I, I don't care uh, – what anybody said, he was going to hit no matter what. You know, Charlie Loud did a great job with him. Was a great, was probably the best hitting coach I've ever been associated with. Just the way he approached things and and and, and gave guys thoughts during the game. That was what Charlie. The best thing Charlie was really good at is he talked to the hitters between innings and that, and he he'd show them things to look for from the opposing pitcher and how to go about things in this and that. He was good. You know, a lot of hitting coaches. Uh, talk about fundamentals and all that kind of stuff but once the game starts they don't say an awful lot to the guys because and charlie was one of those guys that would you know uh players would come in and he'd say hey did you notice what the guy did in this situation is about you know blah blah and he'd say something like that and he really made the hitters think and i think that's uh that was a big advantage with George. George really picked up on it and was intelligent enough to listen to what Charlie said and, and, and go out and, and put those things into effect. And that's, that's where he really helped George just in his thought process about hitting in that. And, uh, but George was just uh, a good guy. You know, you know he was uh, ambidextrous. Really? You know, he, he, could, he could throw left-handed very well. And, in fact... If you don't mind, I'll tell you this story about we're in spring training in uh, we're in uh, Bradenton and uh, uh, Joe. Well, Murtog was managed. Murtog was managing, and uh, before before batting practice, we're down in our down Bradenton in the bullpen and George is thrown to me left-handed like he's pitching and that you know and he could throw breaking balls and everything in fact every once in a while he'd uh he'd throw batting practice uh, to some of our hitters when we we're facing a left-hander because we didn't have a, uh, a left-handed throwing coach we didn't have guys throwing batting practice in those days and uh, so he would throw to some of the guys maybe uh, five minutes or something uh, before a game so he's pitching, and Joe Brown's the, the general manager of uh, the Pirates, and I'm hitting fungos during batting practices, and Murtaugh, who I played for, we were talking to each other, and uh, Joe comes out, and uh, he says, How, how's it going, Danny? And, and uh, you know, he says hi to me, and we were talking a little bit, and Murtaugh, being the guy that he was, he was really funny, he says, Oh, he says, you should have seen. He says, Brett was thrown in the bullpen today, and he was throwing strikes. He was breaking balls off. And, he's, you know, he's talking about George, but they had uh, Ken Brett, and he was having all kinds of arm trouble that year and couldn't, couldn't pitch, and he was having all kinds of trouble throwing the ball and that. And Joe Brown says, are you kidding me? He says, well, ask Harry. Harry was down there in the bullpen, and he saw Brett throwing and this and that. And, I, and I'm saying, to him, oh, my God, he's, you know, 
<laughs> what's he say? And I said, yeah, Brett was thrown, uh, thrown good to me, you know, and I went along with Danny, you know, and Joe Brown gets all excited because he thinks he's talking about Ken Brett. <laughs> so he walks away, and he's all excited. He's going to go tell the announcer, the, the writers, I guess, that Brett had a good outing or something like And he walks away, and I turn to Danny, and I said, Danny, that was awful. You, you know, you said that to Joe. He's going to go. He says, oh, well, he'll get over it, you know. <laughs> For sure. How about how about a young Frank White? Do you remember much about Frank in the early oh, years? Oh God, yeah, Frank. Frank. Frank was one of my old-time favorites. Yeah, he. Uh, you know, he just he was a guy now that uh, you know the first one to really come up from the academy. And uh, like I said, they had the, there was that kind of mixed feelings about the uh, people from the academy couldn't play in that, and they were saying, well, you know, nobody signed. Uh, signed him, you know, nobody signed Frank. He can't play in a major league snap. Well, I think he proved everybody wrong on that. He was an outstanding ball player, an outstanding guy. And he's just one of my one of my all-time favorites there, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he had quite the career. So, Whitey takes over for Jack then, mid-1975. Was there ever any discussion about you staying on with Whitey? No, actually, uh, uh, you know, I coached third base for him there after he took over, and, and then at the, at the end of the season, uh, he comes up to me and, he, and then we talked talked to him and he says uh, that he was bringing in uh, Chuck Hiller to coach third base because Chuck had worked with him and everything like that and, and he just said to me he says Harry I just want my guy because uh, you know he's worked with me and he knows how I think and this and that more and he says you've done a good job I have no regrets in anything you did and, and uh, you know we stayed friends and everything and, and I understood that I mean that's the way it should be the manager should have the the people that he wants there, you know, and we we got along great, and I still consider Whitey a good friend. You know, we've been friends over the years, and I used to talk to him all the time when he, when he was in St. Louis and I was in Cincinnati, you know, and uh, he's a good man, and he just wanted Hiller there because Hiller had been, he'd had a lot of success with Hiller, and, and I don't blame him for that. So, uh, you know, there was no hard feelings or anything like that, no. 1976 was the Cubs. Any Any good memories of, you know, Chicago? Quite an experience, you know, going to the Cubs. I mean, that uh, talk about fans. They're they're something. I I don't know if if they ever won the World Series, if it would ruin them. <laughs> they might expect it all the time. Then I don't know. <laughs> they can always say, "Well, wait until next year." But uh, uh, no, it was quite an experience playing in the that ballpark and uh, you know coaching in that ballpark. And of course, and in, in, in that year, they were still in those days. They still never played night games. And that was kind of nice because uh, you had almost a normal family life there. You know, you'd go to the ballpark in the morning and you'd play the, the games in the afternoon. And then at night you could go out with your family and go places to eat. And, and you had almost a normal 
family life, which doesn't happen uh, too much in baseball anymore, you know, with all the night games. So it was uh, it was quite an experience, uh, uh, unusual ballpark. I heard how the ball jumps out. Uh, the ballpark is small ballpark net, but, you know, I kept track that year of uh, how many uh, home runs were hit at, at certain months and everything like that. And, you know, more times than not, the wind blows in at Wrigley Field. There were fewer home runs hit uh, that you that I thought were going to be hit, and uh, in the early spring, uh, it, the ball doesn't travel as good. And at the end of the season, the winds usually come off the the lake real bad, and so you don't get uh, don't hit uh, many home runs there uh, toward the end of the season. So it it, it really kind of deceiving. People just think it, it because they look at it and say, "Oh, that's a small park. A lot of home runs are going to be hit," but it's surprising how many – most of the time it's in the, the heat of the summer the ball jumps out of there. But uh, in the early spring and at the, the late summer, the ball doesn't go out of there very good at all. Hmm. So it, was, it was interesting. It was, it was very interesting. Now, 77 to 78, you're with the Wichita Arrows and the American Association. Then it's back to the big leagues as a coach with somebody you knew from the past, John McNamara, from 79 to 82. You know, uh, with the Reds, you know, that first time around in Cincinnati, what sticks out about that? Well, the big red machine. It was the end of the big red machine, but, I mean, there were still Bench was there and and Morgan and and, uh, Concepcion and, you know, uh, Foster and and Seaver. Probably the, the the most professional pitcher I've ever been associated with. I mean, he was just awesome. I you know I really think the world of Tom Seaver. I, he's a, like I said, the most professional pitcher I was ever associated with, and, and uh, it was just a great experience. It was a great experience. The fans were were fantastic. Well, I have to admit, I've never been in a city that I didn't like the fans. Yeah, <laughs> I've never. People ask me, "What's your favorite city?" And I says, "Well, I loved them all." because it was always a great time. I enjoyed every, you know, you can always find something good about a city. You can always find something bad if you want it, if you look that hard, I guess. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed every place I ever played. Yeah, that's that's good, though. That's that's a good thing. You uh, And then you got reunited with Jack McKeon then in San Diego uh, from 83 to 86. You were a coach there, and you quote-unquote retired at the end of 86. But, you know, how nice was it being there with Jack again? And then I uh, became the coordinator of minor league instruction for Jack those last uh, years there, and uh, that was that was a that's a, I have to tell you that's a funny thing too when they let Jack go you know when Mrs. Crock sold the ball club, uh, I get a phone call about 11:30 at night one night and it's from Jack down in San Diego and up here in Sacramento and he and he says Harry I just wanted to let you know before. Uh, you hear it in the late news or in the morning or read it in the paper. He says, they just fired me as the general manager here. The Mrs. Crock sold the ball club, and, and uh, you know, they want to make a lot of changes with the new ownership and this and that. And he says, get ready because you're next. <laughs> <laughs> he says, they're going to call you about 10 o'clock in the morning and let you know. And sure enough, 10 o'clock in the morning they called and said that they were letting me go. And they, they, uh, they fired uh, six of my... Uh, minor league coaches and instructors, a total of six guys. And what it turned out to be, it was a financial move. They, it was uh, the highest paid guys in the minor leagues were getting let go. And uh, they had all verbally agreed to contracts 
but they hadn't signed their contract. Oh, no. When, when Joe McElvain took over as a general, man, general manager, he told the secretary in the minor leagues, don't send out those contracts until I come back from the winter meetings. And I guess he was, you know, going to find guys that he wanted and this and that, you know. So they called me up, the, the fellows that I had that were, you know, called me up and said that uh, they got let go. And I said, they can't do that. You agreed to the contract. And they said, well, we, they never sent us a contract. We never signed it. And I, I told them, I said, well, if I was you guys, I don't know what you're going to do, but I said, if I were you guys, I'd go to uh, McIlvain and just tell them that uh, in California, a verbal agreement is as good as a written agreement in any, any job. And they did. And, you know, all... Six of those guys got paid until they found a job. Oh, okay. Well, so I, I had six guys that have always been friends. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, they're still good friends. They really thank me for that. In fact, one of one of the fellas, his wife was just going to have their third child, and he, you know, he would have been lost if he hadn't had that job that year. So, and he got a job. And he's still working. So, anyway. That's good. That's great. Now, you mentioned uh, Tony Gwynn, obviously a guy that we lost way too young, but he was there during your Padres days, you know, in his earlier years. You know, what kind of a man was Tony? And talk about him. Oh, well, Tony was, is, is probably my all-time favorite. Uh, we, we became very good friends. Tony not only, uh, I not only coached him in the major leagues, I, I managed him at uh, Las Vegas before he went up uh, – you know, in 83. In, in, uh, in 82, he had hurt himself in spring training, I guess. Uh, he, he slipped falling around first base or something. Or at the beginning of 83, I mean, in spring training, I guess it was. And he broke a couple bones in, uh, in his wrist, or little things in that. And he stopped them from starting the season. So they sent him to me at, uh, at Las Vegas in 83 uh, to get himself in shape before he went to the big leagues. And... Uh, you know, he played there about uh, two or three weeks, I guess, before he went up to the big leagues. Of course, never came back after that. But then that winter, the winter of 83, I managed Puerto Rico, uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And uh, Tony was came to me as a, as an outfielder, you know, to get him ready. He, he'd always played center field in, uh, in minor leagues and in and, and college, you know, and in minor leagues. And they were going to make him a right fielder. So he came uh, to me in uh, Puerto Rico, and he and I was supposed to work with him and then uh, in right field and teach him, you know, this and that. And uh, you know, Tony was great, and he just uh, we became real good friends. And uh, he was one of those guys. That I didn't have to go every day in Puerto Rico and go get him to come work out. He would come get me. <laughs> <laughs> let's go, let's go work on it. He says, I just don't want to be another right fielder. I want to be the best right fielder in the National League. And and he did become one of the best outfielders you ever saw. He probably made that play going to the right field line, being left-handed, going to that right field line, getting the ball on a single and cutting and throwing to second base uh, with a good, accurate throw to hold a guy to a single. He did it better than any left-hander I ever saw up to that time. And he worked his tail off doing it. And, he, and he, like he said, he wanted – that's the way he was. He did. He wasn't uh, satisfied at any time of how he played. He wanted to be better at all times. He wanted to get better. He, seven batting titles, and he still wasn't. Uh, you know, he still wanted to get better. I mean, that's that's the good ones are that way, 
and he was that way. He never took, he was like I was talking about George Brett. Uh, he never took batting practice without a purpose. I mean, he, he would uh, come to me and say, so-and-so is going to pitch to me uh, tonight, Harry, and he says, could you come out early and throw to me? Here's how he works me. And, you know, I didn't have the stuff to pitch or anything, but I could. the location was always pretty good. And he says, this is how he tries to pitch me most of the time, and so I want to work on this today. And I'd go out there and throw to him for half an hour or something, and he'd work on what he wanted to do in the game. And by God, he'd go in the game and usually be successful with it. I mean, he he was just amazing that way and uh, just an outstanding person. He was. He, Tony was real, real good people. I really miss him. I'm, I'm sitting right here now looking at a poster that they gave in uh, – in San Diego one day, and, and he, he's got it autographed to me. He says, Harry, thanks for all the bad advice you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Best wishes to me, Quinn. I mean, that was it. Yeah. Great sense of humor. Uh, you know, uh, we, we got along great. Yeah, I, what, a, what a hitter. I loved watching him. I, and, of course, it was cool seeing his brother Chris play for the Royals later on also. Um, yeah. So now you make the 84 World Series while you're with the Padres. Obviously, that's special, but was that pretty heartbreaking, too? But, you know, it was kind of, in a way, uh, the World Series, it, it sounds weird. It was almost like anticlimactic because we had that series against the, the Cubs where they, you know, had to be three out of five, and they beat us the first two games in Chicago. And they just, they creamed us. I mean, it was terrible. They, it was, that was humiliating the way they, they beat on us in, in uh, Chicago. And so then we came back and we won three straight to get in there. And that was really, you know, that that really took a lot out of us and to come back and do that. And then when we got to the World Series, it was, you know, you were there in the World Series and it was great, but it was, uh, it was, it was, it was unusual. It was kind of a letdown in a way, you know. It wasn't, but it was. So I think we were just worn out by the time we got to the World Series. Not taking anything away from Detroit because they had a heck of a ball club, you know, but... Uh, it was it was quite a year and quite an experience and I'll never forget it. I never forget uh, Joe Garagiola coming up to me around the cage uh, first day in the in the World Series and and Joe and I had become friends when he was with Pittsburgh when I first signed and was in spring training with Pittsburgh and that and uh, he says, "Gee, Harry, you know," he says, "I I kind of envy you," and I looked at him and I said, "You envy me, Joe, with all the things you've done and." in baseball and, and announcing and then having your own show and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he says, yeah, he says, well, he says, I got in one World Series, and it was my first year in the big leagues. I came out of the service and got in the 46, I guess it was, with the Cardinals. And he says, I never got back to another one as a player. And he says, I didn't really appreciate it that much. I did, but I didn't savor it. And he says, after all the years that you've been in baseball and you finally get the World Series, you're going to enjoy every single minute of it. And he was right. You know, but I never forgot that. It was, I thought that was quite a thing that he said to me, and uh, that—that's how how it is when you're in baseball your whole life to finally get there. And when you stop and think of people like Ernie Banks, never got to a World Series. It's amazing, isn't it? Somebody that's in Hall of Fame and a great player like that never made it to a World Series. Yeah, that's... you know, so it's it's quite an accomplishment, and you know, I. I still look at my ring every once in a while to remember how important it was and how great it was. 
I'm sure. Yeah. And then so then late nineties, like you mentioned earlier, you spent some time with the Reds as well. And then I want to ask about uh, you know, the Marlins. So you came back for one final hurrah, bench coach in two thousand five with Jack McKeon. <laughs> now, <laughs> well what that was is that Jack called me and he said that was gonna be his last year managing and and he wanted me to come back and be his bench coach. He says he wanted another old goat with him, you know, so <laughs> so I said oh, I'd be more than happy to Jack, and it was a great time. We, we I had a great time with you know Jack that last year. We after all the other things we'd been through in, in baseball and that had that last year together, and and, uh, and the wives were there together. You know his wife and my wife, and and uh, it was great. It was it was really a, a fun year, and unfortunately we didn't have the success we liked. But there again, I met some. Some new great guys in baseball and that, you know, guys like Mike Lowell and that, great guys to be around, yeah. So it was it was, it was, was a fun year, it really was, and it was a great way to end your career in, in the major leagues in baseball, I thought, anyway. Now here's probably the toughest question you've ever been asked before. If you had to pick one single moment from your entire baseball career, player, coach, manager, if you could go back to one moment and relive it, you know, could you pick one? God, I don't know. There've been there've been so many outstanding things uh, over the years. You know, fifty years. An awful lot of things happened to you over the fifty years. <laughs> I could say, uh, you know, starting out naturally, the catching Netchai. That you know, that game. That game was, uh, uh, you know, something. It's something uh, only happened once, once in baseball history. So that that's got to be something. Getting to the World Series. Getting to the major leagues. And uh, once in the minor leagues, I hit for the cycle. That's an exciting. Oh, really? Uh, you know, the, the odds on doing that is, uh, you know, unbelievable. I, I don't know exactly what they are, but they're they're way up there, you know. And those kind of things, and I don't know, and just all the people that I've met over the years. Uh, uh, you know, baseball, as far as I'm concerned, is fantastic. You find very few people in baseball that you don't like. I mean, you know, uh, and when there is somebody, it's a little bit, I don't know what the word, different or what, uh, they don't last too long. They don't, if you don't, you know, when you have to spend so much time with people, 162 games a year, I mean, you better get along with each other, yeah. you know. And uh, so, you know, I really can't say, Dave, what would, would be the one crowning achievement. I don't know, because uh, there's so many great, Great memories. So, oh my, my God, meeting uh, Ted Williams, who was my idol, uh, getting to meet him in person, and then having him uh, later on when you're at a ballpark, uh, coming up to you uh, as a manager and, t- and asking you about somebody or something like that. I mean, you know, that's that's awesome. Those kind of things, and uh, you know, I just can't name one thing really. Yeah. But, I'm sure that's a, an amazing ride. Well, would you have some time if I mentioned about uh, 10 or 15 old Royals guys that are deceased? Would you have time to give any memories you have of certain guys? Sure, sure. Okay, because you know, there's, there's some guys that there's not a lot written about them or a lot of stuff out there, so I'd like to you know commemorate them as much as we could. Some of these guys you might not remember a lot about, but uh, how about uh, Jerry Adair? Jerry Adair, we just had him that one year. And uh, he'd come over, what, from Baltimore, I believe, wasn't yep, it? Yep. Yeah, he'd play with Baltimore, yeah. And 
he was a good second baseman. He was a good guy, but you know he was toward the end of his career, so uh, you know his his production wasn't what he had hoped or anybody else had probably hoped too. But you know he was a good veteran player and a, a, a good baseball person. Yeah, I really Jer- Jerry was a good guy. He was another guy who ended up being in a big trade. Obviously, was Joe Foy. I think that was him. I think he could have been one of the real outstanding ball players in in uh, baseball, and he just, uh, you know, he was a very smart baseball player. I mean, he he knew baseball really well, and he just I don't know, just never lived up to the potential in my book anyway. That he he never was the player he should have been. I think he could have been a lot better, and uh, I don't know what he could have done if he. Worked harder or what? I I don't know, but I like Joey. I got along real good, Joe. Well, actually, like I said, I don't think there's anybody I didn't get along with. <laughs> you know, but uh, I thought he was going to be a much better ball player than he turned out to be. How about uh, Pat Kelly? Oh, Pat Kelly. <laughs> I, I I chuckle first because they always used to compare him with his brother. They all say, "Oh, you." brother of the, the the good football player you know and it used to irritate the heck out of Pat I don't blame him it would be too but yeah he was a he was a decent ball player he was he played uh, left field for us and and uh, good guy good guy he worked hard he uh, you know he was just a good guy in Volco good good run he a good runner he had good speed uh I don't. I don't remember what Pat hit, but he was he was a better than average hitter in the big leagues and a better than average player. Yeah, he was, uh, did a good job when he was with it, Kansas City. Here's a guy that was here real briefly and uh, you know tragically died way too young that nobody seems to remember much. Do you remember anything about Juan Rios? Oh yeah, uh, Johnny Rivers. Yeah, <laughs> Juan Rios, isn't it? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, and Juan Rios, isn't that the Johnny Rivers or something. Yeah, yeah no, it is. Know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tall, tall shortstop, good glove, good range, good arm, not much with the bat. But uh, he was a good guy. He played uh, He played well for us. He got along well with everybody. Uh, he just very quiet. Didn't have an awful lot to say. I remember that about him. But... Uh, you know, he worked. He did all the work, and never. I, I never. I don't remember him ever complaining about anything. And that he was a good player. He just didn't hit too much. But he was a good utility ball player for us. How about uh, Hawk Taylor? Oh, the Hawk. Yeah, God. Yeah. Uh, stepbrother of Boog Powell. Did you know that? No. He, really? Yeah. No, I never yeah. heard that. They were brothers. In fact. Uh, yeah, uh, he went off the board uh, when we were in Baltimore, uh, and he was burning his uniform in the locker. He had a bad uh, in the shower or something like that, and Boog had to come over from the Oriole dugout and uh, calm him down. That was his last year with us, I think. That, but he he had uh, he had a good time with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I, I didn't know about that. Um, oh no, wait, wait. I'm sorry, Hawk Taylor. Oh, it was the other. It was the other Taylor we had. Uh, what was his name? Oh, uh, Carl Taylor yeah. was the other one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Hawk Taylor. Yeah, Hawk the was the catcher, the big uh, catcher outfielder. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, big guy, had good power. And, uh, yeah, he didn't... Uh, God, what can I say about Hawk? I just remember... I was thinking of the other Taylor. <laughs> well, there was two of them at <laughs> the same time, so... <laughs> Well, you know, in seven years, you have a little turnover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? No, no, Hawk Taylor. Oh, yeah, Hawk Taylor did some good uh, things for us. I mean, I, if I remember right, uh, we were in Detroit. I don't, that must have been the first year. And uh, we're in Detroit, and we were getting beat, and Hawk Taylor in the top of the ninth inning hit a home run, two-run or three-run home run, I forget what the heck it was, and, and Mr. and Mrs. Kaufman were there and jumped up on the dugout roof and were dancing. They were so happy. <laughs> Hit the, and we won the ball game, something like that. Yeah, Hawk Taylor, yeah, yeah, that first year, yeah. He 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 got some big hits for us. I, I God, I can't remember what he hit or anything. That's been so long ago. But I remember he got some big hits for us at times, yeah, that first year. I'm amazed at how good your memory is. This is amazing. Um, how- hey, my wife always says to me, it's amazing you can't remember the grandkids' birthday and that, but you can remember <laughs> what happened in 1950 with loans <laughs> up and the score such and such. <laughs> I said, that's the way it is. Hon. You know, I said, the problem with us guys in baseball, you only got so much room up there, and once it gets filled up, you can't remember it. <laughs> how about uh, uh, Mo Jabowski? The next couple guys had real tragic endings. Uh, the first one is Don O'Reilly. Oh, yeah, Don O'Reilly, yeah. There was a guy that always thought he was going to be a better pitcher. You know, he had great stuff. He did. And uh, he was a little different. I 
guess is the way to put it. But uh, you know, he he just never he never lived up to his potential either. It was a shame. But he was a good pitcher, never any trouble. I mean, he didn't give any trouble or anything. He worked a hard worker and that and that. But uh, just never did materialize the way everybody thought he would. It was a shame. Um, Aurelio Montiaguado, is that how you say that? for Jack in uh, Omaha. Jack should have... Did you bring him up to, to Jack? No, I should have. <laughs> I forgot to. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how he pronounced it now. Yeah, he'd... Uh, I think he'd pitched a couple of years with Jack at Omaha. I just remember. He wasn't a big guy, and he was a reliever mostly, and uh, not anything outstanding as far as stuff goes. Uh, you know, he, another guy was quiet net and went, just went about his job would I remember it just uh, you know I, I don't remember an awful lot about him but Montio oh god I think it might I don't know if it's I I'd... can't remember how you pronounce it now yeah but I'm pretty sure he had played a lot of years in the minor leagues uh, and I, I'm pretty sure he played with Jack a couple of years when Jack won those pennants in Omaha and I think he was one of his pitchers yeah huh um, this guy I'm sure you have a lot to say about probably is Paul Splitorf. Oh, yeah, Paul. God, great guy, Paul. Yeah, he was. The big thing I remember about Paul was, uh, you know, he wasn't an overpowering, didn't have an overpowering fastball. He had to rely on his control, and he, but he was a good pitcher, and he was a good competitor, a great competitor. And uh, it was really funny because uh, when he first came up to us, uh, you know, he struggled, and he was about a 500 pitcher at best. And then... Uh, I think it, I, I forget if it was Lamb or Jack who when uh, said, "We well, you know you got to start pitching inside because if you don't pitch inside, uh, you know you become a one one-sided pitcher and they're just going to start hitting the ball the other way and you're, you know you're you're not going to succeed. You got to learn how to come in, push guys off the plate." Well, he was such a nice guy. He was a, he didn't want to hit anybody. You know, and so, and then he started pitching inside this uh, one year. I forget which year it was, and that I think that's the year he won 17 games. Yeah. And then he went on to be a real good major league pitcher because he he started pitching inside and pushing guys off the plate when he had to, and and uh, it, it just changed his whole perspective in pitching, and it, and he became a real good major league pitcher in that. And that was uh, a shame that he died at such a young age. That yeah. Is, that is really. I mean, it, it, you hate to see that in anybody, but great guy, great guy, good family man too. Everything, yeah. Great broadcaster too. Turned into quite the broadcaster. Pardon? He turned into quite the broadcaster too. There, you know, his, yeah, yeah. After yeah. his career, how about uh, Lance Clemens? Clemens? Yep. Uh, I really don't remember him that much. He just came up uh, what in the last year? 75? Yeah, briefly, just yeah. a few games. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember him much. That, that, I don't. That, that's funny because he's one guy, and he was, had been a successful pitcher too. But I don't really remember him too much. No. How about that? You know, Buzz, Busby guys like that, you do, you know. Yeah. Busby and <laughs> yeah. Split Orf and that. Yeah. I got a good story to tell you about Busby. I don't know if, if he did you interview. Steve? I have. Yeah, I have talked to him. Yep. Okay, I'll tell you the uh, first year when he started pitching real good. He had, uh, 
I guess it was in his first two or three games he had struggled. And we were in Cleveland, and he was starting his second game of a doubleheader, a Sunday doubleheader in, in uh, Cleveland. Well, we, we lost the first game. I forget what the score was, but we should have won it. We lost it in the late innings. And, and I've never been much of a, a good loser. I don't believe in being a good loser. <laughs> I always like to win. I mean, you know, so you go into the clubhouse and you need to have your sandwiches or whatever before the second game. Well, I wasn't very hungry because it left a bad taste in my mouth. We lost that game. I was really upset about it. And uh, Steve was getting the, ready to warm up and that, and I forget who was who wasn't catching that game, it was Buck Martinez or who else, and I said, I'll go down and warm him up. I don't feel like eating. So I went down and I warmed Steve up, and I'm coaching third base. But I warm him up, and and we were in the right field bullpen in the old ballpark in Cleveland, and I warmed Steve up, and he goes out and pitches and wins that game. I think he pitched a shutout or a one-run game or something, pitched a real good game. Well, from that day on, I warmed them up all the time <laughs> because he wanted me to warm them up. It became a thing, you know, and I didn't mind. But the only thing was when, like in Cleveland, and you're in the middle of the summer and it's so hot, you know, in the humid, and you're between games, and I'm warming him up in right field, and then the game's getting ready to start. I got to jog all the way over to third base and and sweating. <laughs> you know, that was kind of tough, but hey. <laughs> Like I said, the guy said, oh, you don't have to do that. And I said, hey, if it takes that to get him to win the game, that's fine with me. I'll do that. So, <laughs> you know, so Steve, we used to kid it. I used to kid him about it all the time. But he probably forgot about that. that was, I think it was just the one year we did that. But he had a good year that year. And he always used, oh, I, I'd rather have Harry warm me up, you know. <laughs> so I'd go down and do it. Yeah, what, what could have been with him without those arm issues? Um, yeah. God, got, he was a great pitcher. I mean, he's the first guy that had that uh, that fake the third and throw the mm-hmm. first base mm-hmm. uh, move. You know that one that they outlawed now. You can't do it anymore. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> he was great at that. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another story about that. Uh, Included then that and <laughs> Pat Kelly is involved in this one. Oh, good. Pat Kelly got traded over to the White Sox. So. Uh, Steve's pitching against Chicago, and, and we're in the bottom of the eighth inning, uh, and they're up, and Kelly's on first base, and there's I forget who's on third base for them, and the it's pitcher's hitting, and they pinch hit Dick Allen because Dick Allen hadn't started that game, Richie Allen, Dick Allen, whichever way. And uh, so he comes up to hit. Well, uh Al Monchek's the first base coach, and he goes up to Pat Kelly, and you can see him tell him, now watch out because Busby has that fake the third and over here, and, and Pat's probably telling him, I know, I played with it. You know, I played Kansas City. I know he has that. You know, <laughs> and Al and Al, uh, Al's talking to him. He comes back, and, and Dick Allen gets in there to hit. Two outs, bottom of the eighth inning. We're one run ahead, first and third. Busby comes up, takes a stretch, fakes the third, throws the first, and picks up Pat, picks <laughs> off Pat Kelly. So they've wasted Dick Allen. He can't hit now because he's already been announced unless he goes out to play, and he doesn't go out to play. And we ended up winning the game by one run. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Pat so, Kelly felt silly after that. Oh, my. 
by God, the guys at Kansas City never let him forget that. You should, you know, next day they were kidding him all. Oh, geez. I felt sorry for him in a way, you know. I was glad that he did get picked off, but I felt sorry for him because he's such a good guy, you know. <laughs> oh. But that was funny because you could see it, you know. Uh, Monchek went up, the, and Joe Lynette was the third base coach, and he went up to the guy at third base, and you know, and, and you could see, you knew that's what they were telling him. Hey, be alive now, because this guy has the that good move to fake the third, and you know, don't get picked off, and this and that, and then he he picks off Pat Kelly without throwing a pitch to Dick Allen. <laughs> that's great, <laughs> guys. This is great. Uh, Chuck Tanner, Chuck Tanner was really upset. <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> Do you uh that this is great. Do you remember uh Ted Abernathy? Oh yes, God, Ted, yeah. In fact, we had a a, a deal together. Uh Ted when he was pitching for us, uh he said uh, when I get my 10 years, my total of 10 years in the big leagues, he says I want to I want you to come with me and we'll go celebrate and have dinner together. You know, that's uh, we became that good of a friends in a short period of time. We knew each other, you know. And sure enough, uh, during the end of the season, he ended up getting, it was a total of his 10 years or something like that. And we went out to, to dinner together, and I says, well, Ted, when I get my 10 years, if, if you can at all, you come back, I'll treat you to dinner. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was his last year in pro ball. He didn't, he didn't play, I don't think, after that year. That, that was, what, 74? Five or seventy-four. Something yeah, I was like gonna that. say. I think seventy-four. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a, he was quite a guy. You know, he he couldn't run at all. I could beat him in a race, a foot <laughs> race. I mean, and I can't I can't run, and I I could beat him in a foot race. And uh, I used to say, doesn't that bother you? You know, covering first base. And he says, when it gets to the point where I can't beat a hitter to first base, I'll retire. And, you know, during the end of the season, one time a guy beat him to first base. And I think that had that – he was serious. I think that had something to do with his retiring too because he was just getting where he just didn't move that good anymore. But he was he was unbelievable to watch that underhand pitching. Yeah. He tried to show me how to do that, uh, and it it is not as easy as it looks. You know, and he, you know, he originally was an overhand pitcher. Oh, he, Rosie, really? I didn't know that. Yes, when he I, that, he told me that I didn't know that either. I think he said when he originally signed, he threw overhand, and then he uh, he had some discomfort or I don't know how bad the arms. You know, we didn't know an awful lot about arm injuries in those days. You know, and uh, that's when he went to starting to throw underhand, and uh, that's where we came up with the submarine pitching, and that's how that's how he got his success. Yeah. But, uh, he, I remember him telling me, and I, I never heard that before. He said he actually, well, I don't know if it was straight overhand, but at least, you know, three-quarter or so, you know. But he was normal thrower like anybody else until he, he had that arm problem, and then he started pitching underhand, become yeah. a submarine pitcher. He carved out uh, quite the big league career. Uh, Bruce Del Canton? Oh, yeah, Bruce. Good guy, good guy, real good guy, real, real you know, I think Bruce Cant, Del Canton, for us, did as much as he possibly could with the stuff he had. He was a great competitor, and he went out there, and he, he pitched his heart out. He gave you everything he had every time he went out there to pitch. That's why he became a successful major league pitching coach, too. I know that, because he he was he had that makeup. A guy could really relate to 
pitchers, you know, he was in enough trouble like everybody else. If, if you know, if a pitcher's never been in trouble, he never knows how to get out of it, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, Bruce had his share of that too. He came from Pittsburgh, another Pittsburgh original guy, you know, <laughs> and uh, a good, uh, good guy, great guy, good family man, and, and just uh, I really liked Bruce, and I was happy to see it. He went on and became a pitching coach in the major leagues and that. Yeah, he, then, then, and uh, let's see. Last five guys for you: uh, Mingo, Steve Mingori, the local guy. Steve Mingori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was something else. He really was. Uh, uh, oh God, I don't know what I can say about Steve. He was just, you know, a situation type pitcher, and uh, when he was on, he was good. He had that sharp break and curveball, and, and he could really get left hands off. But boy, if he made mistakes with it, he got. Yeah. You know, but he, he did a good job for us while I was there. While I was there, yeah, good guy, uh, good sense of humor, funny guy. We, you know, and uh, no, he was a good guy in the ball club. I like Steve. Another uh, guy that had a nice big league career was only in Casey briefly, but Joe Horner. Oh yeah, Joe Horner. Yeah, he came over from the Cardinals. Yeah, he was that real. Uh, he was another guy, a good professional pitcher and a situation pitcher you know could get the left-handers out and that and the funny thing about it I, I remember joe telling me he says you know hell i always got right-handed hitters out better and i got left-handed hitters <laughs> out he says but later on in my career all they let me do is pitch the left-handers <laughs> <laughs> but he used to say i can get the right-handers out better and i can get the left his ball moved an awful lot and i guess the ball would sink a lot you know and go go away on right-handers and he says i used to have a lot more luck with them you know when he was when he was pitching younger than he did against left-handers, but uh, anyway, good guy, good guy, and like I said, a, a a good veteran ball player on your ball club came in and did uh, just uh, you know limited job in what he had to do, but he came in situation pitching and did a good job. Yeah, how about uh, Nelson Nelly Bryles? Oh, Nelly, <laughs> Nelly, talk about a guy with a great sense of humor. Oh God, Nelson Bryles was. Uh, you know, he's from our area here, you know, up northern California. So I know I knew Nelly for a long time, yeah. And uh, he pitched real well for us and did a good job. Uh, uh, oh, God, he's a uh, funny guy. He could do impersonations. Uh, uh, he was just a funny guy. Great guy Great guy to be around. Great sense of humor. Uh, just, just a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Good guy to have in the ball club. Great competitor. Oh, man. Yeah, he great competitor when he was on that mound. You know, really went after you and everything. And uh, Just a fun guy to be around. Uh, uh, you know, he kept he kept the clubhouse loose. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the final two guys I ask you about, anything about another guy that was here real briefly, Aurelio Lopez? Uh, I just remember, yeah, uh, Mexican kid, uh, Came in. Uh, I don't remember an awful lot about. Uh, I just remember he had a decent arm. I think he had a. I remember him having a, a better than average breaking ball. And but I don't remember him doing an awful lot for us. I don't. Like you said, he wasn't there very long. No, he was known as what Senior Smoke. I think when he pitched with Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Way yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the last guy I'll ask you about, I'm assuming you remember him pretty well, is Al Cowens. Oh, yeah, Al Cowens, yeah. He was, uh, he was one of our, our favorite guys. 
I mean, you like them all, but you have some guys a little bit more than other guys, you know. And Al was one of those guys because he he worked like heck to improve his skills, and he, you know, he he was a good guy. He did a good job for us. I really liked him. I uh, I uh, I just wish he would have had a much better career. I think he could have. Uh, it just never materialized. Sometimes that happens. You know, guys that you think are really going to set the world afire don't, don't do it, you know, for some reason or another. But he, Al was a good guy. I really liked Al. Yeah. And he he, pay, he gave you everything he had all the time. So that, that that's all you can ask of a player. Fun guy to watch. You know, when I go back and look at video, that's for sure. Well, I guess, uh, you know, thanks for an amazing amount of time. Last two questions for you. How long has it been since you were back in Kansas City? Have you been back in recent years ever? I went back when I was uh, scouting for uh, doing major league scouting for Milwaukee. Uh, that was oh the first time they started when they uh, put improvements into the ballpark. Oh, okay. When they put the when they opened the concessions down underneath that uh, behind home plate area. Mm-hmm. I don't I forget what years that was, but uh, I was back there. I was back there, and, and, and in fact. Uh, I remember I sat in the stands. Paul, I talked to Paul Splitorf. He was doing announcing, and we were talking. And and uh, I ended up sitting uh, behind home plate with uh, uh, Young Glass. Oh, Dan. Yeah, Dan. Uh, oh, cool. Okay, uh, cool. That one day, yeah, and uh, you know, and I guess they just bought the ball club or that to become the owners' net and. Uh, we sat there and, and we just talked baseball during the game. I really enjoyed it. He was a nice young man, and he, you know, he asked me a lot of questions about things, and we just we just discussed baseball and talked all the way through it. Because Split told me later, he said he really, he says Glass really enjoyed it. And I said oh, I enjoyed it too. It was really, it was fun talking to him. You know, he asked me a lot of real good questions about baseball and things and this and that. And yeah, so. He's uh, Dan's. It. I mean, they're both, but I, I've spent time talking to him too. He is a huge baseball fan. People don't realize how much he actually knows. It's it's always fun talking baseball with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember that that was uh, the one thing I remember going back there that that year. Before. Of course, I looked up. I tried to call all the people I knew. You know, and some of them were still weren't around. <laughs> but you know calling people that I made friends with and, and you know it, it was so easy to make friends in Kansas City oh people were just great to us when we were there it was uh you know the Royal Lancers uh at the beginning you know the, mm-hmm. the group I don't know they still have the Royal yeah, Lancers they, they're still around yeah and it, yep yeah they still had them you know and, and uh how good those guys were uh promoting the team and everything the businessmen oh it was, you know it was it was just a fantastic setup in Kansas City I I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed those seven years. Not only did it give me a great jump on getting a pension, but it was just, <laughs> you know, it was just so enjoyable, just the whole area and being with people. And uh, I still remember going down to the original Gates barbecue and getting those ribs. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Used to love that. Used to love that. <laughs> down in the so-called bad neighborhood at that time, but it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, people get carried away with that kind of stuff. It, great people down there. They really were. They were great people, and they were great base, huge baseball fans, and they really supported the team and that, you know. Uh, I loved it. I loved it. I'm glad you mentioned Gates, because I think that's my favorite one, too. I think that's the best one. It's, it's a highly competitive topic, though, in, in this town, obviously. <laughs> people are very passionate about their barbecue around here. So. <laughs> it's the one, the, the original 
original one still there? Yeah, the one down in I, Brooklyn, was it? Or I, I don't, downtown? I don't think that one actually is. The Bryant's, is, I believe, is still there. Um, okay. I'm not sure okay. if that's the original one or or not, but the Gates, is, I think they have like four or five locations, and of course there's Jack Stack. Yeah, I remember and, they, uh, before we left there, they, they had one out at the, the plaza. Yep, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was the. And then I guess they only had the two at that time. But the original Gates was the one I used to go to whenever friends would come into Kansas City. I'd always make sure to go to Gates and get them the ribs so they could taste the best in the world. <laughs> yeah, you got that. You got that <laughs> the right. Best I've ever had, anyway. I know that. Yeah. Well, I guess final question for you is: What would you like to say uh, to all the Royals fans listening right now? so happy for them that they get to enjoy the Royals having success again and I want to thank them for my seven years in there, how they treated me and, and uh, wish them all the best of luck. Well, I will stay in touch. Uh, I, I appreciate your, your time more than you know. This really means a lot. You know, you gave me a lot of time and a lot of great info and it's fascinating to hear you talk and thanks for all that you gave to the Royals and we'll definitely, uh, you know, stay in touch and hopefully we'll see the Royals in another uh, World Series this year. Darn right. And thank you, Dave. I enjoy this immensely. It was really a lot of fun bringing back the, the old memories, some of them. Yeah. Good, good, good. We'll, uh, we'll take care. God bless, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Dave. Bye-bye. Okay.